Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. Well, it's Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> I, I had forgotten... And, and Pastor Angela reminded me this morning. She said, I think it's Pentecost Sunday. I said, no, I think that's next week because I had looked it up a few weeks ago and I was thinking it was next Sunday. She said, no, so she, she looked it up. And uh, so, you know, today is, uh, is the Sunday that Pentecostal churches observe uh, Pentecost Sunday. How many of you come from a church that, that observe Pentecost Sunday? A few people. Most, most churches uh, don't uh, pay any attention to that, but uh, we're a Pentecostal church. Amen. And on the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, they were all in one place and one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they, were, where they were seated. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Glory to God. And there were men dwelling there in Jerusalem from all of these different cities and, and, and uh, countries, and, 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 and they were all uh, heard what was going on. Pastor Angela said, you know, if, if, if something's going on, there'll be some effect. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there, was, there, there was some effect that day. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I, uh, I came in here today prepared to, uh, to give you six points, and I'm not going to get to them today. And, and most of it is a recap anyway. And, uh, and so I tell you what, I'll give you the points, but I won't go over all the scriptures. But there is a couple of things that I do want to go over this morning. And, and uh, you know, several weeks ago, I started uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit within, the Holy Spirit upon we found out that uh, uh, in John chapter uh, uh, 14, Jesus said that the Spirit would be in you. Well, he does dwell, this Holy Spirit dwells in every born-again Christian. When a person is born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside. But then the Bible also teaches a, a separate experience, and that's the Spirit upon. And so uh, my six points are... Uh, Number one, there are two fundamental works or ministries of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. There are two fundamental works or two fundamental ministries of the Holy Spirit. One, the Holy Spirit's ministry within the believer. And two, the Holy Spirit's ministry upon the believer. Amen? And, uh, and the number two, second point, the first work of the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit within, begins with the new birth. The second work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon, begins with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Number three, these two spiritual experiences are not the same. They have two distinct purposes in the life of the believer. I want to say that again. These two spiritual experiences, these two uh, fundamental works or, or operations or ministries of the Spirit are not the same and they have two distinct purposes, separate and distinct purposes in the life of the believer. We looked at scriptures that told us that Jesus said that he who believes in him out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's talking about the Holy Spirit being upon. 
When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, he said that, uh, that, that there would be in, in him or in us water springing up, a well springing up unto everlasting, under, under everlasting life. So that's the effect of the Holy Spirit within. The Holy Spirit within is like a, a fountain or a well that refreshes us. And it's for our own personal benefit. It's like you have a well at your house. It's for you. It's not for the people down the street or the neighbors. It's for your own family, your own benefit. But then he said that there would be rivers of living water flowing out. He said out of your heart or out of your inner man will flow rivers of living water. Well, that's water that's not just primarily for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. So you could say it like this. The Holy Spirit's ministry... uh, Within is his ministry to the believer. The Holy Spirit's ministry upon is the Spirit's ministry through the believer. One is to us, the other one is through us. Amen. And if you ever think about it, in connection with the work of the Holy Spirit, there are two lists of nine works or operations or benefits or uh, things that the Spirit brings into our life. There are two lists of nine in the, in the New Testament. There are the nine fruit of the Spirit. If you turn over to Galatians chapter, chapter five, you'll read the, the nine uh, fruit of the Spirit and it's, they are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, uh, temperance. Now, all of those fruit of the Spirit are for the personal benefit of that person. It's for our own personal character and growth as a Christian. So those are the, the nine fruit of the Spirit are produced uh, as a result of the Spirit of, of, the, of, of God within us. But there's another nine, list of nine works of the Spirit, and they're called the gifts of the Spirit. And they include tongues and interpretation of tongues and gifts of healings and miracles and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and, and, and so forth. These are, are the result of the Holy Spirit upon. All of those, those nine gifts of the Spirit are not for your own personal benefit. They're for somebody else's benefit. For God to use you to be a blessing to others. Can you see that? There are two lists of nine Nine fruit of the Spirit, that's the Spirit within. Nine gifts of the Spirit, that's the Spirit upon. Amen? Uh, Both are necessary. Both are necessary for victorious Christian living. It's not enough to have the fruit of the Spirit. We must have the gifts of the Spirit. It's not enough to have the gifts of the Spirit. We must have the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes people have, have gotten confused because they, maybe they met a Christian who was a uh, spirit-filled person or a Pentecostal or someone who was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues and maybe they observed that person's life and uh, whether it was true or not, but sometimes people can be real critical of the other guy, you know. But I've heard, I've heard it said before, well, you know, I, I know this Pentecostal person, they're supposedly filled with the Spirit, but they don't have the fruit of the Spirit operating in life. How could, that, how, could, how could that experience of being filled with the Spirit be valid when this person doesn't even walk in love? They don't seem to have any joy. They, you know, well, usually those, those criticisms are not, are not 100% valid, but 
They might be somewhat valid, but the point is they've mistaken the two works of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit within is what produces the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit upon is what produces the gifts of the Spirit. They're for two different purposes. And it is true that someone can operate in the gifts of the Spirit fairly uh, uh, effectively and be lacking in the fruit of the Spirit because they haven't yielded to the work of the Spirit within. On the other hand, there can be people who have uh, really developed themselves in the fruit of the Spirit, but they lack power in their life. They don't have any gifts. They don't have any power. Well, neither of those are what God wants. God wants us to have all of it. Both are necessary. Amen? The second, this is number four, the second experience, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is equally as vital as the new birth. Now listen, not in terms of being saved and going to heaven because you can, the new birth is what, uh, is what results in what we call salvation. And so a person is saved when he is born again and whether he ever receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit or not, he's, he's going to heaven. So I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is the second experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is equally as vital as the new birth. Not, not, in terms of going to heaven, but in terms of being an effective Christian. In terms of being an effective Christian, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is equally as vital as the new birth, but it is not automatic. It doesn't happen automatically. Are you listening to me? The baptism of the Holy Spirit must be appropriated by a specific act of faith. In exactly the same way, the new birth is appropriated by a specific act of faith. You were born again as a result of an act of faith, a conscious, deliberate act of faith on your part where you, where you willingly and intentionally and purposefully believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You exercised faith, you believed, and you received salvation. Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes the same way. It's not automatic. It doesn't just follow the new birth automatically. It comes as a result of a person on purpose, intentionally, willfully making a decision to believe God for this experience. Amen. It doesn't happen automatically. Number five. Every believer must be baptized with the Holy Spirit in order to be a successful Christian and to be an effective witness for Christ. We'll say that again. Every believer must be baptized with the Holy Spirit in order to be a successful Christian and to be an effective witness for Christ. Amen. Uh, Let, let's, let, me, let me make these points before I, before I turn to the scriptures that I was about to. The modern church for the last several hundred years, many, many years, the modern church has a tradition and it says that the baptism with the Holy Spirit happens at and is synonymous with the new birth. In other words, when a person is born again, he receives the Holy Spirit, 
That's the same thing as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what most of the, of the modern church world teaches. So they put the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the new birth, uh, and they make those synonymous, and, and they say they happen at the same time, and one is the same as the other. It's just a different way of saying it. Or that when a person is born again, when the Holy Spirit comes to, to inhabit that person uh, in, in the new birth, that that's the same thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, they have another tradition, and it is that the church came into existence. The church began on the day of Pentecost. Now, this is what most traditional churches believe, that the church began, the church came into existence on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, in other words, came to inaugurate the church age on the day of Pentecost. Now, the reason they believe that, there is, there is no place in the New Testament, no, none of the scriptures surrounding the day of Pentecost, nowhere, nowhere else in the New Testament does it teach that the church began on the day of Pentecost. Nowhere. But most of the church world believes that the church began on the day of Pentecost, and there's a reason why they believe it. Because if the church, if, if someone had been saved before the day of Pentecost, then what happened on the day of Pentecost would be a second experience. You follow me? And because they believe that salvation and the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are synonymous, that they happen at the same time, then there couldn't have been anybody born again before the day of Pentecost. It messes up their doctrine. But did you know what? That's not scriptural. People were born again before the day of Pentecost. Now, if you don't believe it, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now, of course, no one could be born again until Jesus went to the cross and then was raised from the dead. And remember on Easter morning when the women met him and they wanted to hold on to him and Jesus said, do not touch me. He said, for I've not yet ascended to my God and your God, to my father and your father. Jesus had been raised from the dead but he had to ascend into heaven and to offer the, the blood of the new covenant before the mercy seat on high and, and to purify the altar and, and to establish our redemption. That's why he told the women that morning, he said, don't touch me because he, he, he couldn't be defiled. He said, I, I, I'm, I've got to ascend into heaven. But now later in the day, he appeared to people and he said, here, touch me, handle me. What, had, what happened? In the interim... You know, there's no time or space in the spirit realm. And in the interim, he had, he had entered into heaven, obtained eternal redemption, <clears throat> presented his blood before the holy of holies, and, and uh, our redemption was finished. Well, at that point, a person could be saved. Isn't that right? Because what, is the Bible's, what does the Bible say uh, 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 are the requirements for salvation? But if you shall believe in your heart, believe on the Lord Jesus, believe that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Isn't that right? Well, in Easter night, it says in, in uh, chapter 20, verse 19, then the same day of the evening, 
being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet, or his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent, may I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Well, did they believe on him? Now notice it said that they were hiding out. They were in this, in this secluded place behind locked doors. They were hiding out for fear of the Jews and Jesus appeared to them. And it said in verse 20, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, amen. And so they told Thomas, said, we've seen the Lord. Well, it's clear that they believed he was raised from the dead. He was talking to them, isn't that right? They confessed him as Lord right here. They told Thomas, we've seen the the Lord. You should believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, isn't that right? Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with him. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, now, what are the requirements for being born again? Believing on the Lord Jesus and confessing him as Lord. Well, what, what, would, what would cause them, why, why would they not be born again? I mean, that's, that's how a person gets born again. Believing on the Lord Jesus and confessing him as Lord. Isn't that right? Well, they did that. So, according to the requirements that we have in the New Testament, we know they're born again. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now notice verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So during the 40 days... During the 40 days that Jesus was with his disciples until he ascended into heaven, after he was raised from dead, he was there 40 days. And it says during this time, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So the things that are written in this book and even the things that are not recorded, they're all the things that are written are written for what purpose? That people might believe on Jesus Believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing they may have life in his name. Will you figure that worked for them? They believed on him. These things are written. These things are written for this very purpose. What we just read, for instance, about what happened that Easter uh, evening where Jesus appeared to them. Those things were written, it was recorded, so that we would believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we'd have, we'd have life in his name. Well, if it'll work for us, it must have worked for them. Isn't that right? Hallelujah. So we know from biblical uh, uh, requirements, if you want to say it that way, that they must have been born again, but we also see it in their life. Remember how it says that they were, they were assembled, the doors were shut where they were assembled for fear of the Jews? They were afraid. But if you go over to Luke's gospel, go back to the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel. Verse 50, it says, He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. That indicates a radical change. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen him buried and they were hiding out because they figured they're next. I mean, if the, if the authorities came after Jesus, they're gonna come after them. In fact, Peter, you know, one of, so little old, little old, nothing little girl, you know, just a little girl, teenage girl, said, you were with him. Oh, no, I'm not, I wasn't with him. Isn't that right? Denied the Lord. So they were fearful for their lives. But after an encounter with Jesus, they're no longer fearful. They're continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Continually. Continually in the temple. I mean, most Christians would fail that test. Come on now. Once a week is just too demanding for most Christians. They, they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. That indicates a radical change in their life. Well, the only thing I can think of to make that kind of a change is a new birth. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Go over to Acts chapter one. Hallelujah. Verse nine, now when, they had, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is chapter one, verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you will so come in like manner as you saw him to go go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they, where they were staying, Peter, James, it names all of them. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. And that's where we find them on the day of Pentecost. Assembled together, not just playing cards, not on their tablets. He's looking up scriptures. Amen. No. What were they doing? They were in prayer and in one accord, in prayer and supplication. Hallelujah. That that indicates a change. So they were now what what is does anybody know what the church is? What is the church? The body of Christ. How does someone 
become a member of the body of Christ. You're born again. When, you're, when a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he is born again and he is, he is joined to Christ. He becomes one with Christ. And that uh, company of believers, all of us together, comprise the church. Well, when the first person believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know who was first. It's probably one of the women that were there at the tomb first. I don't know who it was, but the very first person that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they believed that he had been raised and they saw him, they believed it. The very first person that did that, they were born again and that's when the church began. Isn't that right? The church began. Because the church is just those who, who are born again, the body of Christ. And, and the Lord has been adding to the church ever since. But it had to start somewhere. It didn't just, didn't just happen and, and there it was. It started with somebody believing. Well, glory to God. So the, so the church did not begin on the day of Pentecost. The church began likely on Easter morning when those women went to the tomb and he revealed himself to them. So I, I say likely, we're not really sure, but, but we know that by that night, 10 of them believed on him, confessed him as Lord. Eight days later, old Doubting Thomas came straggling into the church, you know. Well, if that's true, and it obviously is, if that's true that people were born again during those 40 days, they had to have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They had to have had the Holy Spirit in them because Romans says, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So on the day of Pentecost, the 120 who were in this upper room, they had already been born again. They already had the work of the Holy Spirit within. What did it do? It, it created a change in them. There was evidence of a new birth. They were full of joy. They had been fill, filled with fear. Now they're full of joy. They're full of rejoicing. I tell you what, just get, you want to get that way, just get bored again. And if, and, and if you're not full of joy and you're not full of rejoicing, you need to go back to the wells of salvation and take another, take another dip, praise God. Amen. Because that's, that's, that's designed to produce those effects in your life. Love, joy, peace, long to all of those fruit of the Spirit. They were manifesting in their lives. But on the day of Pentecost, something else happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Glory to God. Will you, will you stay with me another minute? I want, I want to do something here. Listen, there, there are preachers that, that ever, about every minute, they'll have you repeat a word. Somebody say, you know what I'm talking about? And, and it, it can be an effective tool sometimes, but some preachers do it to the extent it just drives me crazy. I want to take my text this morning. Everybody say text. We're going to be in Romans 7, uh, uh, 3. Everybody say 7, 3. And, and glory to God, it's a good day. Everybody say good day. good day. And after a while, you're just ready to strangle them. 
I listen, I listen to preachers sometime and I think if he says that, if he says, say this one more time, I'm going to throw my tablet out the window. But I'm going to do that this morning. But I have a purpose and it's not a habit. Okay, have you, got a, have you got a moment? Go with me real quick to Luke 24. We'll go through these scriptures really fast. Luke 24. Luke 24, quickly now. Verse 49. Behold, now these, he's talking to people that had already been born again. This is what he said just before he ascended into heaven. They, had, they were 40, uh, you know, 40 days, 39 days, 40 days into this. They'd been born again. Behold, I send the promise of my father. Everybody say promise of my father. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. Say upon you. Promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with, everybody say power. Power from on high. Promise of the father upon power. Now turn with me to Acts chapter one. Real quick, real quick. Real quick, real quick. Hallelujah. I want to let you out by two. Come on. Hurry up. <laughs> Hurry up so we can get out of here by two. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, Acts chapter one, verse number four, being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, promise of the Father. See, I want to connect these things. He said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Notice that the promise of the Father is called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. See how those are connected? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. All right, let's keep reading. Verse number eight. You shall receive what? Power. That's one of those other three words. Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come Upon you, you, see, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the, world, or, uh, ends of the earth. Now, receiving power, the Holy Spirit coming upon you is the promise of the Father and it's called being, called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see that? Well, amen. It's the truth. Acts chapter two. The day of, he's, now, now, he said this. He said uh, in verse number five, go back to one five. John, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So we ought to expect something happening within a few days of that. Well, 10 days later, 10 days after he ascended into heaven, the day of Pentecost, it's Pentecost Sunday. Ten days later, that, that would be in a few days, wouldn't it? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they're all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting, appeared to them divided tongues as a fire from one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Notice being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, re- receiving power, and all of this is the promise of the Father, is also called being filled with the Spirit. See, they were filled, being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here's talking about the same thing. It's the promise of the Father, and he said the Spirit would come upon you. Well, glory to God. Go on down in the second chapter. He's quoting, you know, after, after everything happened like it did on the day of Pentecost, all these people came running together, you know, wondering what's going on. Verse 15, 
2.15. For all these are not, he said, for these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only third hour today of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out. Everybody say pour out. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, or you could say upon all flesh. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. There is, a, there is the Holy Spirit's ministry within us. There's the Holy Spirit's ministry upon us. It's called being filled with the Spirit. It's called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was, it was the promise of the Father. And here he says in Joel, he speaks of it, that in the last days there, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh... Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Woo, glory. Look at verse 33. Being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Glory to God. I tell you what, he said this would happen in the last days. This is what God would do in the last days. In the last days, the prophet Joel said in the last days, God would pour his spirit out upon people. We already know exactly what that means. It means that people would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It means that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, that they'd receive power in their life. Now, if you wondered what difference it makes, Peter got up this very day after receiving power and when he began to speak, there was power in his word. Just Peter, Peter who was hiding, denying, in fear, stood up and gave a sermon. I mean, it's such a simple sermon. It takes about about 40 seconds to read it. And when he got finished, verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? There was power. There was, see, being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit puts power in your life to be an effective minister, to be a bold witness for Christ. It'll take you from being a a mealy mouth Christian to being a powerhouse Christian. From being a fearful, embarrassed inhibited Christian to someone who with power shares about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and changes lives. Woo, it's for the last days. We're in the last days. It's for today. It's for this day. We're in the last days right now. These are the last days. This is what God is doing in the last days. He is pouring his spirit out. Woo, glory to God. He said, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams on my men servants and on my maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. That means male or female. Amen. That means male or female. It means young or old, rich. He said, he said young men, old men. He said, rich or poor, maid servants, men servants. It doesn't matter what your status in life is, male, female, rich, poor. Woo! Hallelujah. Yeah, young or old, he's pouring his spirit out today. 
That's what God's doing in this world right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil, why, why does the modern church deny this experience? Well, number one, they say, they say that they're the same. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the new birth. When a person is born again, he's filled with the Spirit. That's all there is to it. Of course, they have to believe that church began on the day of Pentecost because if they don't, they've got a problem. Then they say there is no additional experience with the Holy Spirit for the believer. Just being born again, the Holy Spirit comes in, there's no other experience with the Spirit. Well, we see that's, that couldn't be true. They also believe that speaking in tongues is not a valid experience for today. Neither are supernatural signs and wonders like prophecy, healing the sick, casting out devils, miracles. None of the, They say none of those things are valid today. You know why? You know why the, the, the traditional church has taken this view? And, and this is widely believed. It is the most common uh, belief set in, in, in the church world concerning the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just, it's just believed just without even thinking. People have said it and believed this for so long, they just think it's true. Why is that? Why do people believe? It's because the devil fears people with the power of God operating through them. The devil is afraid of anybody getting power from God. And he will do all he can to oppose it. He'll oppose it. Go over with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I will close with this verse, I think. I'm pretty sure. Luke 6. The devil hates the power of God and he is afraid. Listen, the devil's not afraid of God having power. He's afraid of people having God's power. Well, Accordingly, religious people, religious minds dominated by by the influence of the enemy also hate and oppose the power of God. The devil is afraid of it. He opposes it. Well, then people pick that up. Religious people oppose anything having to do with the power of God. They'll preach the new birth and say, oh, yes, somebody can be born again. And and isn't that wonderful? And And we agree with that. That's great. But they don't want anything beyond that supernatural happening in the church. No, no speaking with other tongues. No uh, laying hands on the sick. We don't do that here. Is is if you if if you if you try something like that in one of the church, they'll let you know real quick. Oh, we don't do that here. We don't lay hands on the sick. God forbid. We don't cast out devils, and, and we don't and we don't speak with other tongues. We don't prophesy. And, and tongues and interpretation of tongues. We don't, we don't get special revelations, you know, the, the word of knowledge and the word, we don't, we don't have. See, the, the religious mind is against any of the gifts of the Spirit because they're all power. On, uh, in Luke chapter six, now it happened on another Sabbath, verse six, Luke six, six. Happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? 
See, they were watching him to see if he would heal in their church service. Mess up their service. Their little thing. When he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as the other. Now notice verse 11. And they were filled with rage and discussed discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Filled with rage. Somebody got healed in the synagogue, and they were filled with rage. That's what religion does. Religion... The religious mind opposes the power of God. We must stand for the power of God. We must champion the power of God. We cannot, and we're not, there's not even any threat of this happening here, but we cannot and will not back down, compromise, amen, enter into any kind of a compromise whatsoever with the modern church world and the trend today to water everything down and even in Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith churches, there are so many people that are backing off of the power of God. Let's not talk about it. Let's hide it in the back room. It makes people uncomfortable. No, it changes people's lives. The power of God changes people's lives. Everybody in the world has the same basic needs. Everybody. If you've traveled at all to other places, other continents and other cultures, and I have limitedly, and I found out that regardless of people's background, you could have been raised in a, in a hut somewhere in the back you know, of the jungle somewhere in some distant land, completely removed from Western culture, but you have the same needs. I found that people are the same everywhere. They need a savior. They're sick with sin in their life and they need redemption. They need God's forgiveness. And when you give them the message of salvation, they just open their hearts and receive. It it doesn't matter what their background, doesn't matter what their ancestral religion is. When they hear the gospel, they just light up and it's the thing they've been waiting for all their life. And God shows up and confirms his word with signs and wonders and, and the power of God's in manifestation and people are drawn to it. Hallelujah. Let's not back off. Ooh, glory to God. Well, we better leave here. I did pretty good. Considering when I started looking at the clock. (laughs) Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank God for the power. Thank God for the thank God for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being poured out on hungry hearts. Thank God for being filled with the Spirit. Ooh, glory to God. This promise, he said, notice uh, I, I did say maybe. You remember that? I did say maybe. But you're standing, so. In uh, Acts 2.39, it said this promise. What promise would that be? Promise of the Father. He said, this promise is to you. Now, who is he talking to? 
He was talking, wait a minute, he was talking to the people there in Jerusalem. Isn't that right? Peter is talking. He said, this promise is to you. But he also said, to your children. Well, that would take it another 40 or 50 years, you know, for the next generation to come into, into maturity. But he didn't just stop right there. He said, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. This promise, he said, was for the first generation, A.D. 32, whenever it was, and it was to their children, it takes us down through the end of the first century, but also to all who are afar off. Woo! That brings it right on down to today. We, at, at, at the time he said that, at, at the time he said this, we were the afar off ones. He was talking about people in the fourth century, in the fifth century, they were far off. Eighth century, 10th century, 15th century, 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, 21st century. Woo! How, how do we know that? How do we know it didn't stop at the 15th century? They, they would be afar off. No, it said, for all, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He's still calling people. He's still calling people. Glory to God. He, I, I received the call. the call. The Lord called me one day. He called me out of sin, called me into his family, made me his child, gave me eternal life, called me out of darkness. Glory to God. He's still calling people out. He's still calling people out of this world. Well, the promise is to all of us, every one of us, as many as the Lord our God has called. Woo! I tell you what, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, if you haven't been baptized with the Holy Ghost, you need to receive this morning. Now, it might be, it might be a few minutes after noon, but I tell you what, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, it, it'll, it'll turn your clock back. I'm telling you what, it'll, put, it'll, it'll add time to your life. Glory to God. If there's anybody here today, you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, just come down here. Anybody that wants to be filled with the Spirit, you've never been baptized. You haven't received this glorious promise of the Father. Hallelujah. Woo! It's to be coveted. It's to be desired. It's to be entered into. Glory to God. He said the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call, young men, old men, women, men, maid servants, mid servants, doesn't matter who you are. This gift, the promise of the Father is for you. Anybody here today never been filled with the Spirit? Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.